You and I talk about being Asian like 25% of the time, but 75% of the time <laughs> we're talking about our insecurities. <laughs> you will learn about lubrication and other operations in automobile upkeep. While doing these... Every Monday through Thursday, we bring you a new story on the theme of power, culture, or the future. Handpicked from theoutline.com. I'm your host, James T. Green, and this is The Dispatch. Culture. Hi, I'm Jeremy Gordon, the Outline's culture editor. Sitting with me today is Wei Chu, who is a freelance writer who previously worked for The New Yorker and now currently contributes to publications such as GQ and The Outline, amongst others. Uh, Wei, how do we know each other? Oh, man, we've told this story so many times now, and it's never... It's I never the same. It's never the same, but you always say, I'll say what you say. Okay. You always say that we met at Condé Nast. Yes. Jeremy used to work at Pitchfork when I was at the New Yorker, and one day a mutual friend of ours organized drinks for Asians. Is Can we say that? <laughs> yeah, so we can say this. It's, it was a race-based drinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, we decided that it was uh, it was long past time to band together and get some of that solidarity. We heard, heard, heard we've heard the so delicious much about solidarity. delicious solidarity. Lap it up like the cool river. Um, yeah, so we got drinks one day and we started talking and we just stayed in touch since then. Um, now neither of us work for Condé Nast, but we are both still Asian, so we continue to talk about, uh, aside from many other topics, we do talk about the uh, Asian issues in modern media. Yeah, we talk about, I would say we spend a lot of our time talking about Asians in media. Uh, Asians occupy a very specific uh point in the racial discourse that uh, often informs the media, the media world that we both uh, work in, which is like loosely like to the left, like culturally based, but not exclusively, uh, especially as identity politics have become a greater uh, part of the way that people discuss uh, culture, such as the movie we are here today to mostly discuss Crazy Rich Asians, uh, which was an interesting time because, you know, mostly Asians never get anything. Asian Americans never get anything in the mainstream discourse Wait, whatsoever. Did you say get, get anything? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's what nothing that comes, like nothing comes out that we can tie, that we're the authorities on, you know, like think of the biggest right, cultural products like really that ever come out, you know, in a given year. Mm-hmm, so like mm-hmm. uh, a Kendrick Lamar album or like an Avengers movie. Like Audrey all these. Zuko. <laughs> and like all these things that don't like it's not that they're not for Asians but it's like we are not uh, given the prime like spotlight to be the authorities on so specifically with Crazy Rich Asians uh, came out everyone just came out of the woodworks to have their takes it was like now is our time now right. is our chance to talk about this <laughs> and not we be really, in- we really I remember the last time the last time this happened the last time I felt this way on the internet was when Calvin Trillin wrote that poem in the New Yorker. Do you, what, uh, I do remember, yeah. Have they run out of provinces yet? <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah, what'd you think of that poem? I, I absolutely came down on the side of it was not racist, but I think, <laughs> I don't know, but what was I remember telling somebody um, at work that it was really thrilling for me, um, not because of the discourse, but just because all of a sudden it seems like the Asians came together to talk about a single subject. Um, and came out really like, you know, there have been other like more political issues in which like I feel like the conversation is more fraught. But because it was such a low stakes issue, um, it felt like, I don't know, it felt like 
it unleashed literally every Asian to have an opinion and have it very strongly. Right. And with that comes, a, to me at least, comes a kind of uh, secondary anxiety over the fact that in the current discourse, uh, people who have a specific identity are often afforded more power because of that, um, especially by, uh, not to generalize, but I'm sorry to generalize, especially by uh, white people who don't have necessarily a framework for what they're talking about in this. And in this discourse, uh, some of these people under the guise of allyship will just kind of boost whatever account seems the most most credible or the most authoritative, the most morally righteous. And that, to me, can often kind of uh, limit the potential for meaningful discourse. Um, <laughs> right. Like, it's like if you if if we're in like a situation in, in which the most marginalized identities also somehow like have more weight to a conversation, then the people who have no idea what to do are going to just align themselves sort of unthinkingly with. Right. And so much of the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I feel like I'm getting into dangerous territory. No, it's true. I mean, part of the Calvin Trillin discourse wasn't just Asians talking about why the poem was maybe offensive to them, but specifically to explaining to white people why it was offensive. And, you know, I mean, speaking for myself personally, like I can recall conversations I've had with coworkers about some Asian related race thing where I was like, uh, wow, they don't seem to be getting what I'm saying until I default to the language of the kind of imperious, like, quote unquote, social justice rhetoric of like, right, you right, need right. to understand right. this. And then something snaps in their head. Yeah. And something yeah. snaps in their head. And that's kind of like, I mean, one that's really, honestly, I've just found it pretty depressing on every level. And I'm like, it's kind of crazy that we can't have a conversation that's more uh, reasonable without being defensive. But because it is such a charged idea and often, you know, I mean, what, what do they say about white people that they find the idea of being called racist, like as offensive as mm -hmm. the idea of actually mm -hmm. being racist? Um, even though as in my personal experience, I have found that even Asians with whom I disagree with politically are much more uh, open to the kind of uh, nuanced conversations, at least privately or amongst us, right. uh, is when, is, when it's not being mediated by our relationship to uh, the other races, which is yeah. understandable. Or but to also, becoming famous. Yeah, but also just kind of sad. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, I <laughs> I do think, I mean, Asian Americans obviously occupy this really strange space or strange spaces, I guess, in which um, you, you always feel like you're in between something, right? Like, I think in your piece, you make a point of saying that the Asian American experience is like about defining yourself in relation both to your homeland, to other Asian Americans, um, and I don't know, to whatever like version of Asian American culture exists in your city. So like where I'm from, I mean, we were one thing that you and I were talking about is it's like I never actually had the experience of getting made fun of for what I brought to school for lunch because like for like I'm from Appalachia. And so everyone was poor as dirt and they all brought paste to school. And so the fact that my mom made me fried rice was like everyone salivated over it because they didn't, you know, they're mm -hmm. at home eating cardboard. Right. And whereas like my Chinese mother did not want to make me Chinese food for lunch whatsoever because she had had to, well, one, it's uh, more work, probably more work to make than like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Wait, should you but, say, should you talk about your ethnicity? Oh, yes. So I am. Just to uh, get it out of the way. Just to get it out of the way. I am uh, half Chinese. Uh, my mother is Chinese. She was born here, which makes me second uh, second generation. My father was a Jewish man. Um, so I grew up in Chicago in like the center of the city and for lunch my mom just made me like peanut butter sandwiches and like a bag of pretzels like every day for you know however many years that 
happened. So that never that experience never happened to me either because I just had the normal default like quote unquote American <laughs> white uh, lunch or whatever. Right. You know, like I I always find it interesting that whenever Asians decide that they have a political take, I would say like fifty percent to like more of like people who identify as Asian will disagree with them. And that's I think that to me is the primary tenet of being Asian American and also kind of what I really love about it. Like we can't like I feel like recently Asian Americans on the internet have taken who've basically like sort of um adopted the rhetoric of um identity politics, right? So it's like we do a lot of um we do a lot of talking about othering and microaggressions and stuff like that, but then I think what is a little bit hilarious is that uh, we don't really discuss the other half of it, which is our, um, you know, our relationship to whiteness and our relationship to privilege, our relative privilege as Asian Americans. And I think oftentimes it's filtered through this lens of like the model minority myth and like the ways in which dominant culture has kind of manipulated the way that dominant culture thinks about Asians. But we're also complicit in that, you know. Um, and I think that that's it's 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 funny to me that we can't quite Asian Americans can't quite have like a solid opinion without it being wrong. Right. Um, and then and part of that is also the fact that the uh, the many there's so many different strains of Asian American and uh, the notion of one encompassing identity is just a, both a very recent invention, relatively speaking. I mean, it really dates back to like the 60s or the 70s, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, and just completely detached from the way that Asian culture uh, functions back home. You know, so the, you know, talking to our grandparents, my Chinese grandparents, like the idea that they would have found some automatic solidarity with the Japanese is like laughable you know completely laughable they come in from like wartime era where like the Japanese like you know murdered their countrymen or whatever which is not funny at at all I don't know why I'm laughing but the point is why are you laughing? I don't know why I'm I'm laughing because uh, trauma I'm sorry my ancestors listen to this in the sky Um, I'm sorry (laughs) but the point being that like just just the 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 kind of limitations of uh, what I do think is this automatic, dis- somewhat automatic discourse of identity politics that Asians kind of fit into, and uh, you know maybe just speaking for myself, but I feel like it's really only been in recent years where the kind of uh, the meaning of those differences has become so much more clear. Uh, and I, I think specifically talking with you once about how uh, thinking about first generation versus second generation, the fact that uh, my mom was born here as opposed to so many of my Asian friends, like their parents were immigrants uh, and they are the first generation ones now trying to deal with this stuff. And as a result, I definitely benefit from a lot of the privilege, both of like being biracial, but also having uh, those issues being somehow worked out by my mom and her uh, generation, at least as it related to my upbringing and what I was Mm. able to have. Do you feel like you, like what kind of privileges do you feel like you... Like specifically the, sort of attached to being biracial. One, and the fact that it's often, I mean, sometimes people don't can't tell that I'm uh, Chinese and I, I get the benefit of that. People you know, just you wanna, think that you're white. Yeah. or you, you And, know, you, and wanna, you feel like that confers like a certain amount of 
Yeah, or authority. even like, or here's a good example. It's like mm-hmm. everybody knows the everybody knows that uh, how your name looks on email, or you know, can certainly influence like your resume, or like mm-hmm. someone who has a conspicuously mm-hmm. like Hispanic name or black name or Asian name may not get uh, chosen over like an obviously white name. And because my last name is Jewish, I've cer- and my first name is like uh, Anglo, basically. Uh, like I've certainly like dealt with people who just thought that I was like white over uh, email, and that and maybe that they thought. I mean, one way or the other. Yeah, rather than knowing immediately yeah. what your ethnicity is. But also in a privileged sense of the fact that, like, my mom was, uh, like, her parents were the ones who came here and weren't, like, dirt poor, but definitely did not have money and, like, mm-hmm. scraped and worked very hard. And then my mom uh, had to scrape and work very hard. And then that was sort of uh, passed on to me. And, you know, on, on one hand, calling it that privilege is, like, kind of banal because uh, the notion of making, working hard to give your kids a better living is pretty universal but on the other hand it's like the the specific idea of coming from uh basically nothing in america like mm-hmm. having no uh, legacy here having no wealth no family really and just like uh we're gonna scrape and buy into the american dream as best we can so that our kids don't have to worry about it on the same level like that's definitely a receipt right i remember a couple of years ago somebody wrote this a filipino guy wrote this article that was like it was like addressing the fact that there's privilege within Asian American culture and I remember reading and being like no (laughs) no I just got my slice of the pie for being oppressed (laughs) yeah and specifically this definitely relates to uh, colorism within other Asians I mean uh there's a great Ali Wong joke about how she's like what she's like half uh, she's she's she calls it jungle Asian. yeah she calls it like she's like I'm half rich Asian I'm half jungle Asian and like that's like a very like sharp joke that like probably you know white people can't deal with but it's also like it's fucked up but it's true I mean that's how I mean, uh, several months ago Wei and I and a group of our Asian friends were talking about going to this uh, all Asian nightclub in Times Square that was about to close and then a member of our uh, friends who's a Filipino guy like jokingly said he's like I think I'm too jungle Asian for that and like we laugh but then we're also like that seems obviously true because yeah. it's all these like fancy like light skinned Koreans and whatnot and they're, <laughs> or the they're perception be- of it is true right. it probably wasn't true in practice <laughs> I don't know I, I, don't I just know, got man. back from Puerto Rico and very tan my dowry definitely dipped at least like 50% because of that So we are here today mostly because of Crazy Rich Asians, the uh, now-hit blockbuster movie based off of the novel of the same name released a few years ago, um, which I have not read. Did you read the the book? Mm Mm-mm. Me neither. I am told it's slightly more satirical than the movie, which is a fairly straightforward romantic comedy with some hints of uh, how ridiculous some of the people are, but it's definitely not the focus, Mm -hmm. I would say. March. We've been dating for over a year now, and I think it's about time people met my beautiful girlfriend. What about us taking an adventure east? Like Queens? Singapore. Colin's wedding. Don't you want to be my family? I hardly know anything about them. Every time I bring them up, it changes the subject. Maybe his parents are poor and he has to send them money. Nick, we can't afford this. So your family is rich? We're comfortable. That is exactly what a super rich person would say. Um, and both of us saw it opening weekend. Wait, can we talk about, can we talk about like the before and after of when we saw it though? It's so, like, oh, yeah. Jeremy and I are like just bitching about like, you know, every everyone's on Twitter talking about how Crazy Rich Asians is, is going to be like, or the Asians are on 
on the internet talking about how crazy rotations is going to be our Black Panther. Right. And I was just, I was so, I was so annoyed. I was like so annoyed about all of this. And I was like, representation doesn't matter. Like this is all East Asians anyways. I was mm-hmm. being very woke about the entire thing. Mm-hmm. And then um, I, I caught, uh, I caught like a Wednesday night viewing on opening weekend at like 10 o'clock. And I just ugly cried through the entire thing. I just, I sobbed so much. I felt like I'd been in like a very intense therapy session. And I texted Jeremy and I said, maybe it is our Black Panther. <laughs> And he said, he got mad at me and he said, be consistent. (laughs) I was like, I expected better from you. (laughs) But Um, then you saw it. I saw it and I had like the ugliest feelings ever in the worst way. I walked out of it and I literally yelled, representation is a lie when my friend asked me what I thought about it. Well, my friend asked me, what did you think of it? And I was just like, representation is a lie. It's a lie. And then just sort of like stood outside the theater complaining. What did you mean by that? Um, Or what what was the lie? So it's important to preface that my feelings on this have since changed. But I think during We we had a very long conversation where I very, I used my quiet voice and tried to change your opinion <laughs> <laughs> i think i think specifically i sort of sat there through uh you know in the movie uh if the movie is about being asian whatsoever it's mostly about how it m- means what it means to be asian american in the sense that you are different than being asian so it's a theme for anyone who's not seen the movie it does come up several times about how the main character uh, who's played by constance Wu, is the only Asian-American character who we see throughout the whole film, uh, for the most part. No, she's definitely the only one who's featured. Everyone else is Asian. uh, And much of the drama is about the differences between her and, like, the Asian women uh, back home Mm -hmm. and the tension that that plays into with the mother of her uh, boyfriend and just her kind of relation to the other Asians. Um, And... Some of the articles I'd been reading the week before talk about the moment when Asian-Americans realize that they are... uh, distant from their home country, which is something i am uh, been familiar with. But then from my perspective, I was thinking about, huh, you know, as a biracial person, I've been conscious of that separation between me and other Asian Americans basically my whole life because, I, you know, I've had many Asian friends growing up, but it's different, you know, there's not, uh, and that doesn't mean it was like bad, no one ever like gave me shit about it, but it was different and it was like something that was... Uh, it was different, like, what do you mean? It was always felt like I knew that... Uh, you know, it's like I, I think it took a very long time to even identify as like, or it's to hard identify to, as Asian. It's hard to say that because like I think I just never consciously thought about it. But I think in I always just changed my uh, self definition based on who I was talking to. I would say, Is that "Oh, right? I'm Chinese American," or "Oh, I'm half white," or "I'm half Chinese." Was like, there it, ever? It was point, never consistent. Was there ever like? Was there ever a point that you? Have you ever, do you still identify as not Asian American sometimes now? I definitely identify as either um, multiracial or like Asian American, yeah. Okay. Uh, primarily. But even then, you know, I make jokes with my friends of like, oh, I'm like Asian ish or having these, such, such as the situation which has happened many times where I've been in a room of uh, people either in this industry or otherwise and been like, man, there's no people of color here outside of like me and I'm Asian ish. Like, it's really pathetic. I'm like the <laughs> only like person of color in this room as like a half Asian person who's like, uh, my skin tone is like fairly in the middle, but like I could go either way depending. On who's but okay, to but me. isn't doesn't this just like this to me illustrates the ridiculousness of the conversation? It's right? incredibly ridiculous. Right, but where it's, it's like, like you would look at yourself and invalidate your entire experience as a complicated human being. Right, exactly, <laughs> and that's part of what makes this so insane. And like you know, it's like. 
um, way I'm gonna put you on the spot. Um. <laughs> One of the first times we hang out, we we hung out. We were in a group of Asian people. Oh, this is and, a sweet story. And, and this is a sweet story. And then uh, we made some comment about like, or someone made made some comment of like, all Asian men are like this. And then I sort of popped up and said, well, I'm not like that. And Wei just yelled. Because you're white, and then everyone at the table, and everyone it at got the, real quiet. And every no, 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 it didn't get quiet. Wait, everyone at the table started laughing. In my memory, it got really quiet, and oh, I was like, not. I really screwed this one so up. So Wei is lying, or not lying, but her, her memory, her Rashomon, his <laughs> memory has played tricks on her, has her repressed guilt. The entire table burst out into laughter, and I sat there going like, hmm, like making just kind of like uh, like grumpy faces, but in a jokey way. I was like, oh, it's funny, I get the joke. This was like a year and half ago by the way like not even, maybe like two years ago um i'm and so then, sorry i really am i'm still so no, sorry and then I was I, so... i'm reforming myself <laughs> no, i don't but this is I don't, great. I don't i don't i don't reduce white people anymore <laughs> but then, no but then it was all fine because at the end of the night when we'd had a little bit more to drink away it came up to me privately and apologized very contritely is that right <laughs> It's very much right because I remember texting. I was texting a friend at the time. I was like, "Man, in a group of Asians, really just feeling like the other right now." Because by the way, I was the only biracial person in this group. Right. Uh, right. And then I was like, "Man, just feeling away, feeling away." And then uh, Way came up and you apologized, and I appreciate it very much. Wow, I'm so glad. I'm really glad to hear because I think the I think the next time I saw you. I had been tripping shrooms all day in the park, <laughs> and I showed up in like I showed up in like a holographic fanny pack, completely <laughs> out of my mind. <laughs> it's it's no wonder we're friends. Which is just to say that uh, it's uh, this conversation is often very dumb, but in the moment, uh, which is just which is all of which is to say that when I was watching the movie, I became very conscious of where I fit into this conversation and all these kind of greater notions of solidarity really seem kind of uh, fraudulent to me mm-hmm. and like kind of just easy PR of like, oh, it's our responsibility as Asians to like band together. Uh, and, you know, the discourse of like, if we have to support this movie, I mean, I think Broadly ran an article that was like, it's your moral responsibility to see Crazy Rich Asians so we can, you know, say that we need more representation, like we need more of us out there. And I just remember thinking like, but none of us can agree on like who's legitimate, like what's more, most legitimate, like mm-hmm, wh- mm-hmm. who counts and what doesn't count. And the idea that we're gonna like skip past all of that just right. into like the happy, like here's our Black Panther. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, and there's no the way. premise is wrong. So my feelings softened as the days went on because, um, you know. Well, can I tell you? Can I tell you what what I thought was Please the most do. successful part of the film? Yes. It's like I also, you know, I think Jeremy and I both have had conversations that are aside from this conversation about how uncomfortable it is to watch um, sort of capitalism be the only option and the best option in this film. Um, yes. But I, to me, you know, the thing that that I was really wowed by, and I think the reason why I cried as much as I did, is that they turned this, um, this what uh, I think on the internet or in like our current discourse about Asian American culture is often thought of as a stereotype like this Asian mother stereotype, the tiger mom thing, they turned it into this really individualized experience. You have these two mothers who um, have different experiences from the same set of circumstances, which is, you know, having to respect the collective above the individual, having to sacrifice yourself for like your children. Um, You get one mother who is like a total jerk to Constance Wu over this, but you're able to sort of empathize with her point of view. And you get um, Rachel's mother who... Um, in a lot of ways also sacrifices for her, but in this like more tender way. And I think for me, like 
um, the the empathy that I experienced from watching those two scenes had like of course like I understand it from my own perspective like I didn't have to identify with those experiences um, in order to understand uh, yeah the stakes of what was going on like with those two mother roles Um, and to me like you know I can imagine a white person I can imagine an alien going to see that film and understanding exactly why those two characters behaved in the way they did in the film right Um, but it also functions on this greater level, which is the universal experience of having a really tough Asian mom. Uh, and I should also be clear that I didn't dislike the movie whatsoever. I had kind of like moody feelings about it that played out. But in terms of watching it, like I thought it was a totally uh, fine romantic comedy. And I thought, what did that, you think of the um, the part where they flooded the the oh, wedding? That and I then, burst out laughing. I almost lost really? my mind. I thought it was you weren't like, like that's what I want. I was like, the, like, my whole, wow, the, even like, my I whole, get married even my whole nice Asian Chinese theater, girl. my whole ass Asian theater, people whole who were like laughing, everyone was cracking up. It was like a burst out. You didn't laughing think moment. it was beautiful? No, I thought it you was. You weren't like, moved by the power of love. Um, one, I was pretty stoned, so I was also just like, <laughs> "What the fuck is this? Shit? The slow motion butterflies and like the river, ugh, unbelievable." Um, and then you know, I laughed at things like, uh, I mean, I, I couldn't stand Aquafina in the movie, but I did laugh. What? Oh, are you? I forget. But where what's your what's your, are you pro Aquafina? Um, without even getting into the politics of it, I just don't find her entertaining whatsoever. Mm-hmm, so that's mm-hmm. kind of where I'm like, ugh, I don't want to watch this. Like, uh, ugh, I hate you think it. she's cute? I just hate it. I actually wrote down in my notes. I Would hate you swipe Aquafina. right on Tinder though? <laughs> but I swipe right on Aquafina. Um, cut this part, James. Uh, <laughs> But I did laugh when her family... Oh, and I, I can't stand Ken Jeong. Um, but then the you I did laugh at the family. Huh? I thought he was funny. Uh, I don't know. I just don't find him entertaining. But okay. I but I did laugh when they were sitting at the dinner table with the family. And there's just like the random old like Chinese grandfather just like who they cut to every now and then just to laugh. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that felt very like uh, real. It sort of touches... Uh, Along those lines, um, I mean, parts of it were just bland. Like I thought the main character Nick Young, I just thought he wasn't interesting at all. I mean, I was like, what's charming about him besides the you, fact that he's no, handsome? You, you're anti-hot person. Oh, that's the other bias here is that I think <laughs> that's all, like this has all nothing attract- to do. No, I, but no, it has nothing to do. This is bullshit. I call no. This is I call bullshit. No, 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 no. You no. hate him because he's hot. No, no, no. What personality traits does he have outside of being like a solid uh, dude? He's, he's a solid dude. He was dude. so nice at the end. He was exactly. such a yeah, nice guy. Yeah, he's a guy. solid. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Exactly. Go, what makes go him out what on makes, the streets of New York him, and find me a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> One. <laughs> what does your boyfriend have to say about this way? <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> He's a very nice guy. Wait, can, uh, speaking of my boyfriend, can I can I read a text from my mom about Crazy Rich Asians? Uh, yes, of course, please. Okay, so my so all right, so my my parents live in Atlanta, and um, I got a message from them. So my mom says we watched the movie Rich Girl yesterday and liked it very much. And I said you should go see Crazy Rich Asians, and she said yeah, I meant that one. And, and and dad and dad would like to read the three books. Where can he find them for free or for low price? And I said, I, I don't know that that's possible. And he said, very good. Um, I think I think I truly discovered uh, a, like a part of Chinese people in Singapore. Um, and if you will meet a rich Asian boy, I wish you have same brave like Rachel. Heart eyes. Wow. Wow. Please be brave when you re- meet the rich half Asian man in Singapore. 
Oh, God, Christ. Um, what, what did my <laughs> mom say about it? I don't know. I think she thought it was okay. Um, her, I do remember something that she said was that to her, she said that she thought the characters could have been race swapped, which I thought was interesting. Like she, like to her, the what the movie wasn't contingent on them being Asian, uh, which I don't necessarily agree with. But uh, like it was very. But easy. isn't that that's like a that's a successful? It's thing. both a success and a yeah. Like that wasn't meant as a critique. That mm-hmm. was just an observation that it was very easy to imagine a version of this. Uh, with like all white people taking place in like Beverly Hills. so on one hand, that's a uh, that's a positive. I mean, when we talk about representation, we are um, talking about the freedom to kind of tell whatever story. The idea that it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to advance your race or make an encompassing argument because it's something that uh, white people don't have to worry about whatsoever because you have every type of movie right. that ever existed. Right. I mean, like over this weekend, I watched uh, Seven, uh, Brad Pitt and uh, Morgan Freeman. I was rewatching it. I'm like imagining that movie made Why entirely are you with Asian people because uh, I was like hungover. <laughs> And I was like, I need something like mm-hmm. pleasant and mm-hmm. uh, calming, and such as a movie where a man eats to himself to death. But um, I was like, imagining that movie like with an entirely Asian cast, like it's almost it's impossible. But it would have been an Asian movie, uh, <laughs> and because then that's the kind of like pressure, you know? The, oh, oh, because it has to like speak to some, right? So it's you like the fact, the, 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 the fact Asians. in 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 Seven, Morgan Freeman, I think, is the only non-white character in the entire movie. So I'm imagining a version of Seven where it's every character except for Morgan Freeman is an Asian person, <laughs> and there's no way. It never mm-hmm. wouldn't have scanned as normal whatsoever because, mm-hmm. like, one, police bureaus are made up that way. Like, two, like, all the Asians on screen, we'd be like, what's it going on? Can you imagine a, com- a complete police bureau and what's supposed <laughs> to be in uh, New York and, like, downtown New York and not, like, Flushing and it's, like, all Asians? Um, it's totally impossible. So uh, so part of the kind of, like, right. necessary advancement, the frustrating work of the conversation about representation is the kind of freedom to tell all stories, good ones right. and bad ones. Right, so you have to go somewhere where there actually are all Asians to tell those stories. Right, yes. I have, so somebody points something out, something interesting to me. <laughs> Sorry, I'm slurring my words a little bit. Um, <laughs> we're drinking beers here in the studio. So um, my friend Rashida texted me last night and she was like, Crazy Rich Asians is amazing. And I was like, I did not expect that from you, very woke person in my life. And she was like, there, there isn't a, there isn't a single white person in the film except Henry Golding. <laughs> no, he's, shut up! <laughs> Henry Golding's a nice boy. Listen, I have Asian friends who said that Henry Golding was basically I'm, white. No, this is ridiculous. And, I hate uh, this take. This is my least favorite take in the entire universe. That's actually yeah, an incredible thing. Uh, yeah, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, you're gonna disagree because you're like, I watch Wan Kar Wai movies. <laughs> wow. Wait, just throw it in my face. Um. No, I've never seen a Wong Kar Wai movie. You haven't? That seems crazy. No, I know, it's true. That seems Isn't that like, crazy? You're like the most like Wong Kar Wai person I've ever met. Oh. That's a compliment. That's, that's really a strong sweet. compliment. Um, that's... Yeah, I mean, that's definitely uh, pretty notable. I mean, even in like uh, movies with like predominantly African-American cast is always like the one wacky white friend, like to give the cast something to like hold on to. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, there's like always like one James you know what I'm talking about there's always like there's always like one conspicuously like goofy white person whose job is to be is that right I mean look at every Tyler Perry movie it's like and and their job is to be conspicuously white like in the sense of like like they 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 cannot they cannot help yeah like oh I'm so cool like oh I'm trying to be hip but like they're really dorky but it's funny you're supposed to laugh they dance bad and they eat (laughs) mayonnaise 
The week that Crazy Rich Asians came out was particularly notable because um, I think for the first time in my life, multiple works of Asian-American-centric art that received a lot of mainstream buzz were also released, uh, one of which was Be the Cowboy, the I believe the third album uh, by Mitski, who is a... Uh, indie indie rock singer songwriter who makes these kind of like post uh, her early material was like very like sparse and stripped down and then now her last album was more uh, like what people used to call alternative rock and then her new record is a lot more uh, like synth based and a lot more uh, like less grungy mm-hmm. I think some, you can dance to some of it for yeah sure. you can dance to some of it Mitski in particular is interesting because uh, music is not entirely different than uh, films, but it's pretty different. And I think Mitski has been the recipient of a lot of uh, coverage that gives her a ton of credit for being an Asian woman because it is relatively novel. An Asian mm-hmm. woman making very successful indie rock, even in, in the Emotional last few years. Music. Yeah, even in the last few years, we've seen like Japanese Breakfast and Jay Som, and like, you know, you can go back to like Chibamato or whatever, all these that other. That woman and, in LCD Sound System. Yeah, the Nancy Wong. Yeah. Um, and Mitski. And Mitski. We love Mitski. Mitski. I did not know Mitski was biracial until this week. Wait, is that right? You thought she was full Asian? I'm dead serious. Yeah. Oh, wow. I know. Um, Do you feel. Okay. I have a question. This is super intimate. Please. Do you feel insecure on me because of my full blood? <laughs> no, not at all. Because Wei's a real one. <laughs> um, I should be more cognizant of my full Asian privilege around you. I'm sorry. I should be more cognizant. Do you want me to count down? <laughs> um, I should just genuflect entirely at your, your experience. What does that word genuflect mean? Just like bow, like bow humbly, present myself to be anointed by your uh, authority. Wow, that's really, I feel uncomfortable like with I'm that. Genuinely that feels like fle- I'm genuflecting moment. before you. I'm I would just... like you to ask for consent before that happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, okay, so, but Mitski, so you didn't know that Mitski was not full um, Asian. But with <laughs> but Mitski is interesting both because she's very good and she's um, pretty self-aware about this, both because uh, she te- seems like the type of artist who really, like, challenges herself. I mean, she gave quotes in this press cycle saying that anytime she gets complimented on something, she makes a mental note not to do it again because she wants to (laughs) challenge herself, which on one hand she admits is like psychotic, but also creatively challenging. Uh, And there's something to be said for not wanting to uh, rest on your laurels. And also what I imagine is the specific hell of actually becoming famous and knowing, but not being able to precisely articulate the people who are just giving you more credit because of your identity. And I imagine for serious artists, that must drive you fucking crazy. Because it's like- for non-serious artists, right? Like I'm sure you've had- uh, I mean, to be be a hater, like I think sometimes that just wouldn't appeal to some people i don't know i mean maybe they just take it at face value like the praise that i'm getting oh my my question my my i guess what i'm saying is it's like sure for like serious artists like mitski but also 
like you move around the world and you feel oh, yeah, your identity. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Um, and so as it related to one of the things I quoted in my piece was uh, Mitski saying, talking about how she demands the freedom to be like problematic and you know she does not want to be mm-hmm. held up as some kind of idol of Asianness or womanhood because she is an artist who has the freedom to talk about like fucked up feelings and weird, ugly things that do not track politically uh, with the dominant discourse, especially on the left. Um, And that was... To me, that was a stark contrast from the Crazy Rich Asians discourse, which was all of the film's actors and uh, directors and producers talking about how monumental it was and how important it was for representation. And then Mitski taking very, while also acknowledging the importance of representation, but taking very clear uh, steps to be like, look, do not hold me up as an idol or like a right. role model. Like, I'm making an album because I'm an artist, not because I'm a Asian woman, even though I am an Asian woman. And yeah. it's, it both matters, but it also doesn't. And that, like, to me, that's the tricky thing is that all this stuff obviously matters Mm -hmm. because nobody can ever just like find the exact way in which it does matter without kind of lapsing (laughs) into like yeah it's almost like it's funny because i feel like diversity has been cleaved into these two sections one is like incredibly commercial and the other is this like idea of true diversity that mitski has Mm -hmm. it's like one thing i really liked about your piece is pointing to the fact that you know true human you know true human diversity has to do with that messiness and like the ugliness of being alive and that's at the end of the day, like, that's what makes people relate to each other. That's actually, like, the value of diversity is, like, um, you know, you and I talk about being Asian, like, 25% of the time, but 75% of the time <laughs> we're talking about our insecurities. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's why we're, that's obviously why we're friends. Yeah, and um, it's and it's f- funny because, you know, uh, and both true diversity and freedom from the audience perspective would be the freedom to dislike any of this without having to feel as though you're (laughs) without both feeling as though you're being a race traitor but also currying favor with like the white people who are kind of just looking for an excuse to like uh, talk about why something is overrated so that's a phenomenon that I encounter like uh, will you say more about that I think there's certain pieces of work that are very validated because of the identity politics uh, that come with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, And there are... The work doesn't have to be that good. Yes, and there are definitely uh, white people who don't like it and want an excuse to say so, but are afraid to do so because for the political I don't think optics, it's just white people. I think it's not it's, just, well... I mean, I think it's... I think it's it's definitely ever. It's definitely a lot of people. But I, I definitely think that like uh, like good white liberals will feel will be more silent about it because they feel like the kind of pressure. They don't you know, it's have like the agency. Like it's more of... conspicuous. Like as opposed to like uh, yeah, an Asian. Imagine like the imagine if you read a negative review of the Mitski album, one written by an Asian woman, one written by like a straight white dude. Like one of them would just read different, uh, and maybe shouldn't be that way. Right, but, like, and I, you know, I, I have to I have to be honest. Like as much as I I feel like I try to make it a point to divorce like a writer or an artist's identity from the work that they're making as much as I can because the opposite is a very slippery slope and yet there's so many times in which I read something I don't like it I see that I like google the byline see that the person's like a white male right and I get you know I I become I become you know like social justice warrior on the campus of Oberlin. And this boils down to the way that representation is fraught in the media. So it's not just the, the fact that like, oh, a white man reviewed the Mitzke album, but it's the fact that tr- historically speaking, 95% of the people who were ever going to be in a position to review something like the Mitzke album have been white men. And so right now, uh, if the demand that the reviewer not be a white man is just uh, a corrective to a decades-long historical imbalance, which totally makes sense. I mean, even at a site like 
like uh, you know it's funny to to look at a site like uh, Pitchfork and how their reviews slot uh, in terms of uh, gender and race now based off like what it was ten years ago when everyone was like kind of a white man. I mean, it's mm-hmm. interesting to see publications like react to the shift in real time. Um, right. Well, and I mean, you and I were talking about this, but there's a certain imperative. Um, Mits- Mitski saying, "I'm an Asian woman who does not." Um, want to be who, who I don't want my work to be considered through that lens and so a publication might say like okay so it doesn't matter so much who we assign to this project when actually I think you and I were saying that it, it matters even more because um, the experience of being a person who's marginalized who does not want to be seen as a marginalized artist like that that itself is like a very specific kink right definitely um, and you know I liked Be the Cowboy a lot I thought it was uh, I think it's a great record I think I, I saw someone uh, say that it's the type of record that two decades ago would have gone like triple platinum in like the old music industry, but it you doesn't work like, like that anymore because just like, I mean, one rock music doesn't sell in general, but right. also it's only the rock music that's like really like cleaned up, like 21 Pilots or whatever, but two... What is 21 Pilots? <laughs> <laughs> Wake up, you need to make money. Yeah. That's good. Um, but, but, to, <laughs> but like 25 years ago in like the post-Nirvana boom, like you could be like a weirdo guitar band and just mm-hmm. like have a gold record or whatever. Mm-hmm. So Mitski's, I, I would say Mitski's probably most critically acclaimed song is a song called Your Best American Girl, which was off her last album, uh, in which she basically narrates the experience of uh, realizing that the guy she's into like comes from a different background. And like the, the in the chorus she sings... Your mother wouldn't approve of how I was raised, but I do, or I think I do. Uh, and it's just kind of this like slow catharsis of life. Did you, did you feel a certain way when you heard that? I mean, I was touched. I was beautifully touched. I think it's a great song. Yeah. Um, I didn't, but not in that specific way. No, because I never had a. Uh, because um, I think to me the idea that someone wouldn't accept my culture is so uh, crazy to me because I had I grew up in both like I, I grew up in a spread of cultures so like you know I spent one of the not I don't think this is necessarily unique but you know with my biracial family like I spent even times with both my Chinese families and my Jewish families like we would all hang out together we would like both sides of my family know each other and are like close and like it's uh, very charmed and blessed but so to me the idea if I ever encountered anyone who's like oh I can't date you because like you're a little too Chinese like I wouldn't even feel any guilt I would just be like so confused more than anything see, I'd be I like see. what huh yeah like all right well like good riddance but then like <laughs> but uh but it is a movie but the sentiment is obviously like beautiful and like destructive and like all these things um mm-hmm. and whereas uh, where how did you feel I do you know how many fucking Thanksgivings I had to go to? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, I love I love to appreciate. Wait, I think what winds up happening is like, you know, like I I my parents didn't really do Thanksgiving or Christmas or these like holidays. Like, you know, like we didn't we like, we kind of went to church but only because you were totally ostracized if you didn't like in the south, but we didn't do American traditions and mm-hmm. um yeah, you know, I think I, it, I like it was that song had a big part in me realizing that like going out with someone who isn't invested in your traditions and your family culture 
um, despite dominant culture is sort of like a fucked up way to live. But you, but you kind of, you know, you, you move around thinking like, well, like my culture doesn't matter all that much or like what I, you know, Chinese New Year, all these things that are really important to me, like they shouldn't matter to other people when, and when in fact, you know, like you're in a romantic relationship and they should. So yeah, I, I had a crazy, I had a crazy rich, you know what, actually, I think you, your best American girl is, is our Black Panther. If I have to come down, down on it. <laughs> that song, uh, that song, like it, it, like it kind of changed my life. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, it's an amazing song. And um, I think I put this, I think I wrote about this, but I would say almost every Asian woman I know who loves like indie rock, uh, like deeply bonded with that song. Um, and obviously there's many Asian women who do not. I think BuzzFeed ran an article last week or maybe this week that was about it from an Asian writer sort of learning to love Mitski, how she <laughs> didn't at first, um, which I have not read, but just saw. But. I- what? I hate it so I I'm gonna go and write a counter take without even reading the piece oh, right after we I'm gonna go home I I have a a friend of mine who's white wouldn't go to the Mitski show with me I was like Hi. let's go see let's go see Mitski and she's like no 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 she's like I would feel so weird it's like <laughs> it, no look she's great <laughs> well I, that no but I just I think it has to do with the fact that now there's this perception of Mitski being this very special thing for Asian American women or Asian Americans. Yeah, how do you? You're agree making with that, like a really, you're making a really unhappy face. At me. Well, I feel like I, th- I mean, maybe Mitski would disagree with that, but I, f- I feel. I think like, she would disagree. With I think it. she would disagree with that, and like, and I, I, think, I disagreed with it to my friend, but she was just, you know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. trying to be sensitive, and you know, every artist gets reduced in some way or another, and. Um, for the better or worse, usually for the worse, and I think being um, wanting to control her own narrative in that is, you know, it's complicated. I mean, you can't in the in the current discourse, like you're you're never going to be able to have a grasp on the way that your work is interpreted and like what it's stereotyped as, which is unfortunate. But I think we're getting, you know, closer. So then apart from Crazy Rich Asians and the Mitski album, uh, there was the release of a Netflix. Uh, original movie, an adaptation of a novel uh, called To All the Boys I've Loved Before, which is about a half-Korean woman, uh, teenager, half-Korean teenager uh, growing up in, I think, California, navigating her crushes in high school because the premise of the movie is that she has, through her life, she has had five intense crushes who she has written five intense letters to, hypothetical letters, or they're real letters, but they're things that she would say to them, but never intends to. And then at the beginning of the movie, her her younger sister mails the letters off and all of the recipients get the cr- uh, letters and she has to navigate all of this these these feelings that are coming out of guys who think she's interested and then guys who think she's not and you know and so forth and so forth and she ends up inventing a relationship with one of the recipients of the letters uh, for their mutual benefit it's kind of complicated my letters are my most secret possessions I write them when I have a crush so intense I don't know what else to do there are five total Peter, the most popular guy in school, Kenny from camp, Lucas from homecoming, John Ambrose from Model UN, and Josh, but he's my sister's boyfriend. What are you doing? Nothing. Nobody else knows about them. See, you've not watched it yet. No, I'm saving it to watch with my boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Ugh. Um, Anyways, (laughs) I watched it. That's a very, it's a very 
<laughs> Very romantic gesture. So I watched it, and part of the thing that I thought was um, charming, if not novel, about the movie is that her Asianness is present, but it's never the dominant focus. You know, she doesn't have to worry about like, oh, like, will these white guys accept me or like me and my culture? You know, doesn't matter because like her in the movie, her father is played by uh, John Corbett of Sex in the City, and her mother is uh, dead. Her Asian mother is dead when we start out, so they're just living this kind of like uh, typical middle class. California life where uh, going to school and whatnot but you know her dad makes Asian food at home and her little sister makes these uh, drinks this uh, fermented Japanese yogurt uh, drink yeah yeah. I've I've Uh, seen a lot of Instagram memes about the movie so I haven't seen it but I've seen it (laughs) So, so all of this is through. So it's obvious that she is Asian. She Asian culture is a part of her life, but it's never the sole focus of how like how do I feel as a as an Asian woman? Like she feels like an outsider, but not because she's Asian, because she's like a literary weirdo who like doesn't uh you know doesn't know how to talk to boys. And like the most mortifying thing that could possibly happen to her happened to her. <laughs> Right. Yes. Um, and so, you know, look, the movie is like a teen comedy. I thought a lot of people freaking out about it on the Internet were just, you know, it's it's kind of like, is this really that meaningful to you as an adult? But maybe it is. Um, but I, it was. I'm like, I'm so, I'm sure I'm going to have lots of feelings. Like I, I when I heard about it, I was like, everyone was like, there's another thing coming out with an Asian American lead. And I was like, that's ridiculous that you're so excited about it like it's 2018 and then when I started seeing all the clips like on my Instagram discover page I was like holy shit I've never seen this like on the big screen there's a super cute Asian girl and and she's the one who gets the guys no that's fair I mean it's a good movie it's definitely very funny and uh, it's like a little uh, you know I mean it's like a Netflix romantic comedy it's not mind blowing but it's a lot of fun and uh, the way that her Asianness is incorporated I thought was uh, interesting in relationship to Crazy Rich Asians where that movie is very much about like the experience of being Asian it, well, you know one thing you said in your piece that I thought was really interesting um, is talking about the way that food is kind of negotiated in those two films where right. you, you, you it's a little bit glossed over, which it, I don't know in my, I have strong opinions about people talking about food and like works of Asian literature or whatever, right. but like in crazy rich Asians, they like spend all of this time and care. And it's so like, there's time, something kind of, I mean, work. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say this, but I think it's kind of gross. <laughs> Oh, I definitely was like put off by that. Yeah. I thought it was I thought it was narratively like weird. It's like, oh, this isn't a part of the movie that we're watching. This isn't a part yeah, of like, the, like the characters. Fetishization this of is food. just that's like that's exactly oh, how we how got great. in the predicament we're in. Look how we look how cool this is. Whereas in uh yeah, and to all the boys I love before, like it's Yeah, he like goes and gets role. Yakult for her. And that to me feels really sweet. Yeah, or like the dad trying to make um I forget the name of it, but he's trying to make some Korean dish and he just mm-hmm. like fucks it mm-hmm. up brutally and like these kids are just like it's gross. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> I have two things. Yeah. I have two thoughts. The first is that like it kind of reminds me the the way that this movie has been presented and the way that I feel about it reminds me of the new Mitski album where she's got that song um Nobody mm-hmm. and she's got that it's like the lyrics are like um I've been big and small and big and small and big and small again and still nobody loves me. Mm-hmm. And I was watching like the Rap Genius interview where she talks about like you know like when I heard it for the first time I thought it was kind of metaphorical and it turns out Mitski was being very literal about that like that she's like lost a bunch of weight, gained a bunch of weight, lost a bunch of weight, and, like, all with kind of this eye towards, like, maybe someday I'll have a boyfriend, maybe sometimes I'll, sometime I'll have a partner. Um, and, you know, and that she just, she she couldn't find love or whatever it was. And to me, that felt like the most human experience and, like, the most relatable thing. Um, and there's something about that, like, rush of being a tween who has, like, a crush or, like, 
finding out that your crush like knows that you have a crush on them that's so harrowing and mm -hmm. i found i find that feeling to be like so relatable in a way where i'm like i want to i want to go and feel that way right now i want to watch that movie and know what it feels like again yes um this is sort of pursuant to that but i'm like why why is everyone why are all these adults so comfortable freely lusting after these high school characters and teen movies wait is that happening oh for sure all the all the memes of like this movie are like oh like peter the the main love interest he's so dreamy i'm like uh you're like oh that's weird i mean i guess the actor is like probably in his 20s playing like a teenager but still it's a teenager i wish i had a letterman boyfriend with his like drive me to school Take me on the ski trip. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you just wish you had a nice boy who want to hold hands on the ski trip? Me? Yeah. Oh, man, uh, I never. I can't <laughs> even. Can I tell you my second thought? Yes. My second thought is you said that you felt you like you identified with this biracial character. Oh yeah, I definitely identified more. Was with that because like how often do we have biracial Asian American? Although characters? ironically, the character uh, is played by a fully blooded uh, Asian woman, and okay. she looks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. It I'm erased so sorry. my experience. They erased oh, my experience. Jamie. <laughs> it's the reverse Henry oh, Golding. No, it is. It's the reverse Henry Golding. <laughs> but her two, her Oops. two, her two sisters uh, are. And they definitely look half Asian. Yeah. Her, in the movie, she, in the movie, in the movie, she has two I sisters. See, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. That just made me really <laughs> sad. So, yeah. So only nominally. So. So yeah, it was a little uh, strange, and but definitely appreciated the fact that we had uh, these three pieces of Asian American centric work coming out in one week. And one of the really nice things that I've uh, realized upon writing about it is that um asians are very willing to like uh grasp like all of the like to have these conversations out in public as soon as you have them and i thought what i found very fascinating was or it what I found very interesting and uh, ideal was that a lot of these conversations were happening between Asian people on the internet and not mm -hmm. necessarily Asian people talking to white people, but mm -hmm. you know, uh, just people in conversation with each other. Because I do, I do think some of the frustrating uh, thing is having to uh, define yourself in a discourse that prioritizes extreme reactions. I mean, for every Asian American who said that. Uh, Crazy Rich Asians was so meaningful. There was another, there was a Singapore national who was like, fuck this movie. It's like a blinkered <laughs> look of like a screwed up country because Singapore is like messed up uh, in a lot of ways. And it's like, here's this really glossy, like capitalist, beautiful uh, vision of this country that's not realistic. But it's like, look, I mean, <laughs> pretty much every mainstream movie can be critiqued under the lens of like capitalism mm -hmm. and beauty. Uh, I think it only becomes exceptional uh, when, when a movie is presented as like a giant leap forward. You know, like no one's criticizing a Catherine and Heigl romantic comedy for being like too capitalist that's, right. that's just part of it but like when a movie like Crazy Rich Asians is getting sold to us as the dream uh, both by publications covering it and like somewhat knowingly by the actors which is uh, and which is, I think, more complicated. I mean, they they do literally have to sell the movie, but also like this kind of like right, right, this right. kind of creative impetus for right. everyone well, that, involved. I mean, that's one thing I think of, I thought about often. I don't think about it that much anymore because it's been a while. Mm -hmm. um, but I. Yeah, I, I thought about like what would it have been like if we had they had just not pitched it that way. Like we probably wouldn't have all of these feelings if it was just 
you right. know, if they had pitched it in the Mitski way. But, but they also did have to pitch it this way, particularly in, in order to get it made. I mean, uh, the creator of the the author of To All the Boys I Loved Before said that there was at least one producer who wanted to whitewash it, and she refused, which is like funny because even though she a white uh, yeah have a white protagonist, and you know, because again, the Asian the fact that she's Asian is not the central part of the movie, but it's obviously important and it's mm-hmm. so crucial, and there couldn't work without it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is this. I mean, the most honest answer I can come to is that it both matters and it doesn't matter. Like every Asian person, uh, most Asian people, if you get down to it, will not stake their confidence on uh, their ability to show up on screen. But when you tell these stories in a good way, like it's obviously, you know, it obviously matters. Yeah, well, and I think, I mean, clearly Crazy Rich Asians proved its market share. Right, and um, it's funny because like Crazy Rich Asians in its first week grossed twenty five million dollars, which was about as much as the Meg did in its second week. So the most important Asian film going experience in twenty five so years. So wasn't you saying it wasn't that much? Wasn't that much? Oh, it was about man. it was about that it was about like it was about the same it was about the same as the second week of the Big Shark Eats People movie, you know. Wow, and so it's really? like. It's so it's it's not a small amount I of money, but it's not Twitter. a giant movie by any means. It was like not a giant release. Like it's it's gonna more than I think it's probably more than gonna profit already made back its budget. But like when 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 I was asking, like given all the hype about this, people were like it's gonna be a huge smash hit, and I had to guess what the box office return was. I was like, oh, like eighty million maybe, and then like you know a, like a third of that. And to me, that's crazy. I mean, that's part of the conversation about like if re- like representation cannot just be in pop culture because like one Asian are going to be minority forever. There's no magical country where <laughs> we turn. So true. Well, we, there's not. We're not going to turn around and all of a sudden have like a 25 percent or a 30 percent. Part or of the 40%. experience is that we are a minority, and there's so much interesting stuff that comes of that. Right, and so there's. This is just like a part of uh, the conversation, which maybe seems obvious to say out loud, and it is obvious because I think most people recognize it. But in the current stakes, when you know, just like who's going to take me seriously? What can I be talk about? Like what? authority do I have? And I think I understand the impulse to, you know, stake your claim on this more than other things. Um, So I get it. Yeah. I mean, and if anything, you know, like I think in the last couple of years, like with Asian American films, music, and generally just sort of internet drama, (laughs) there's been like, there's been so much to follow and sort of talk about. And it just feels like um, there can only be more at the end of the day, I don't know. Some of it can be pretty dismal, but it's not a bad thing. To me, true representation and freedom comes with uh, an open acknowledgement of the ways in which we are different and kind of not having the obligation to support something just because it uh, looks like us on one hand. I mean, there's a so there's a quote from a piece that Jay Caspian King wrote for the New York Times Magazine about a hazing death at an all-Asian fraternity uh, that I thought about a lot when writing this piece and quoted. But the quote in full says... Asian American is a mostly meaningless term. Nobody grows up speaking Asian American. Nobody sits down to Asian American food with their Asian American parents. And nobody goes on pilgrimages back to their motherland of Asian America. Michael Dang and his fraternity brothers were from Chinese families and grew up in Queens. And they have nothing in common with me, someone who was born in Korea and grew up in Boston, North Carolina. We share stereotypes mostly, tiger moms, music lessons, and the unexamined march towards success, however it's defined. My Korean upbringing, I found, has more in common with that of the children of Jewish and West African immigrants than that of the Chinese and Japanese in the United States, with whom I share only the anxiety that if one of us is put up against the wall, the other will most likely be standing next to him. 
so to me, that quote just sort of sums up the kind of manifold like differences. Like there are just so many differences, mm-hmm. but it's so rarely part of the way that Asian American identity gets talked about. Uh, it does sort of get smushed all into this one monolithic like you're yellow, thus like we're all on the same side. Right. Um, even though it's so obviously manifold and more complicated. I mean, when people were talking about Korea's rich Asians, like for the first time, I'm seeing people who look like me on screen, and I'm like, no, you're not. You're looking because like you're not like a light skinned like beautiful like Chinese person you know because <laughs> you're not hot <laughs> <laughs> but it's true it's true no, yeah, though yeah, yeah. No, but I know, it's I know what you mean. and it's I true know. and like and i think part of this is like just thinking about the ways that, you know the way that we've trained to think about representation right in it's pop weird culture. yeah it's it's definitely like it's a learned behavior this like wanting to like it's like deciding to lump all of us together because it gives us quote-unquote solidarity or leaning into the fact that we're, you know, individuals. But it's so difficult to know how to have the conversation with Asians and to have it with white people who still dominate everything. Like, I absolutely uh, took took notice of the fact of how many white people complimented my article because I, you know, felt... Is that right? Not... Is, it, is it just because there are more white people? There's definitely more white people, yeah. And I think, like... like it's, like, not a... It's just it's because like if you took if you took like a random sampling, there would just be more white people. I mean, this comes to this comes part of the the being crazy over the shit. Like I don't even know. I don't even know if that's real or something. I just oh, made I up see, in my I head. You're you know? just like. like like, like, of it. am I writing something just for like white people to agree with, and like, uh, and thus inval- and thus invalidate the importance of something like crazy rich Asians? I mean, your piece was pretty nuanced. It wasn't like a, uh, but it's part of it. No, but it's it is, but it's like part of that kind of like wondering of like, yeah, of course, who am I speaking to, and like, what am I trying to accomplish? Right, the levels know? of the levels of consideration when you're not part of dominant culture right. can be pretty dizzying. You kind of gaslight yourself. Yeah. It's hard uh, to just be free. Uh, it's hard to be free in America. But also- oh, my God. <laughs> We're, I kind of feel after we've had this conversation, because we we've only had conversations specifically about crazy rotations, but it, it strikes me that I kind of like the idea that, like, rather than having to be, like, like, I think I came into this conversation thinking, like, one of these has to be the correct way to do the thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, I kind of like the idea that they're all just different attempts at doing like a very complicated task. I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, that's the idea is that you can, you don't have to be, uh, uh, you know, there's this there's this wonderful video that was going around uh, in the last few days, but it was this f- semi-famous incident from Sundance Festival a decade ago or more when uh, a better, better Look Tomorrow, the, a movie, that indie movie about uh, problematic Asian American teens uh, was being shown and there was a during a post film screening with the director and the actors someone in the crowd asked uh, the director why he would make a movie that was so amoral and like thoughtless towards Asian Americans and in this famous moment why was it thoughtless towards Asian Americans Asian, like, like, why would you depict Asian Americans as being so immoral? Like, mm-hmm. and like, so you're, you know, oh, I see, like, I see. why wouldn't you do something more responsible for your race? And in this <laughs> famous interaction, like, uh, Roger Ebert, uh, RIP, stood up and like lost his mind. Like, he, he just yelled at the guy. He was like, I uh, find very offensive and condescending about your statement is nobody would say to a bunch of white filmmakers, How could you do this to your people? Yeah. Yeah. This film has the right to be about these people, and Asian American characters have the right to be whoever the hell they want to be. They do not have to represent their people. 
I find that question so rude and condescending because you would never ask that of a white filmmaker. <gasps> and the whole theater and the whole room like burst out in applause. And he was like, Asian Americans be ever can be whoever the hell they want. They do not have to represent the race. And wow. just like flipped out. And so in a moment of wow. twist of fate, the reason it was circulating is because the director of Crazy Rich Asians was in the room that day as like a student filmmaker and took it to heart. And he published posted over the weekend. <gasps> now the that is a beautiful moment. The irony is that he made Crazy Rich Asians, which is like the most positive view of Asians whatsoever. There's like nobody who's problematic in it whatsoever. And there's no consideration of that. But which is just to say that like all of these things matter. All these uh, nuances matter. And like you can decide to make a rosy, sunny movie because there's rosy, sunny movies made about like white people all the time. And we're just talking. What, what this conversation boils down to is like oh, people wanting the freedom of choice that comes with being truly like neutral. Where just this doesn't matter. Or where it does matter, it doesn't matter. You know, because white people make movies about being white. Uh, it's just not every single one. You know? Well, and they don't think about them as movies right. that they're making. Interrogating. Yeah, they don't the think about it as like interrogating like whiteness. But like, you know, which is just to say that all these approaches matter. And like, I don't know about you, but to me it seems obvious that uh, there's parties on the left who would rather not talk about uh, race whatsoever. Uh, those parties are often white. But to me, it's like obvious that like the, talking about race is like the predominant lens through which like everything in America happens today. And it can be like kind of tendentious and like boring and like basic and like level one and whatnot. But like it's still important. And it has to be worked out because like look at where we are today. Like look at how like literally anything on a national level as it relates to race happens with like Trump in charge. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's crazy and psychotic, but to uh, pretend as though it doesn't matter or that it's not important is, like, just fallacious. So, Wei, thank you for coming in to chat with me today. Um, if for you having would, me. Of course. If you would like to find Wei on the internet, her handle is her uh, name, just... Wei Chu, which we will link to in our post. You should follow her and read her writing. And, um, you know, we'll do this again sometime. Really? Talk about Asianness. Yeah, you can be on the podcast. We'll talk about Asian shit any day or yeah. just, you know, privately. Okay, um, <laughs> cool. Um, all right, thanks for coming. I love you. The Outline World Dispatch is produced and hosted by me, James C. Green. Our music is courtesy of APM, and our theme is by the fantastic John Lagamashino. I'm James D. Green. See you later. So sitting with me now is <clears throat> sorry, sitting with <laughs> uh, sitting me. <laughs> I'll stop looking at you. All right.